You are listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast, testimonies from Catholic reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Don't forget to leave a review and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon, testimonies from reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. This week's guest is a good friend of mine who, Tim, when did we meet? About a year ago or less? It's about a year ago. We just had our anniversary and you didn't write or send a card. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's becoming a good friend very quickly. Um, yeah. And we attend St. John's together. Uh, we've hung out with our families, just been great. Part of Knights of Columbus, et cetera, et cetera. Just wanted to have Tim come on and he had shared a bit of his story in the past. And we've been trying to connect for quite a while now. And in fact, I'm using his microphone. So <laughs> good. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do this without you, Tim. So anyway, uh, take it away. We want to hear everything about your your journey. Yeah, no, first, first of all, thanks, Eddie, for giving me the opportunity. Um, it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse to have accepted the invite to come on almost a year after you asked me a blessing um, because I've gotten to see so much, so much beautiful testimony from previous guests of yours on this show. I mean, just some stellar uh, commentary and, and stories about people's journeys to, to faith and to Jesus Christ. And that's been, that's been a blessing, maybe a little bit of a curse because now I feel like I've got this really high bar set for me. Maybe I, I should have come on like super early when nobody had any expectations, but um, I'm sure it will be fruitful and God will, God will make out of it what he will. So that's right. Thanks. For, thanks yeah. for having me. Um, so my story, uh, I, I'm going to tell it in like little steps and phases, kind of walking along this little journey on a timeline here. Um, but first of all, so you can know like me and where I'm coming from. Uh, I'm, I'm married, been married for 19, be 19 years in April. I hope I got that right. And, and being that I don't have my wife here next to me, I won't get corrected on any dates but I'll get corrected later, I'm sure. Uh, so married for uh, married for 19 years. We have five uh, awesome kids together. Our oldest is 18 and our youngest is six. Um, so life is good. Family life is great. We, um, I'm, I'm from a little bit all, of all over. I, uh, I was uh, born in Virginia, raised in New Jersey. Um, and then the Navy, which I'll talk about a little bit throughout my story, brought me to San Diego, California. And that's where I was for... Uh, it's about 20 years. So most of my life, I say half of my life was spent uh, in San Diego. And that's where I met, met my wife. Um, but, and my wife's a native San Diegan, by the way. Um, but last year, we made the decision to uh, up and relocate to the beautiful Boise, Idaho area here in the Treasure Valley. It's, I know so many people have. Uh, and it's been a great move for us. So we're happy to be here. So that's me in a nutshell. And now I'll kind of go back in time and tell you about, uh, tell you about myself. So I'm the youngest of three children. Uh, if my siblings were here, I would say I'm the best of the three, uh, but they're not here, so I can say that and get away with it. Um, just as a matter of background, so people can kind of understand where I came from um, uh, with respect to my Catholic faith. Um, my dad was, I guess, what you would describe as a cradle Catholic, um, raised in a very Catholic household, kind of your, your quintessential Irish Catholic, so it was it was just as much about their faith as it was a culture. You know, it was a very lived tradition in their household. Um, my dad's now, he's been, he's, my dad passed away three or so years ago, and I didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity to talk to him about what his faith life was like growing up, kind of a regret of mine. Um, but, I, but I do know that much. I know that uh, he had an uncle that was a Catholic priest, uh, and my dad shared a lot of stories with me about his, his upbringing in the faith and his faith formation. Uh, and that was, that was really cool. Uh, so yeah, that's my cradle Catholic dad. Uh, and my mom, this is an interesting uh, tidbit, my mom was raised in the Jewish faith. So my grandfather, her dad, uh, was Jewish, and my grandmother, her mom, was Methodist. And at the time of their marriage, I guess they, they agreed that they would raise, uh, I have uh, my mom and her sister, my aunt. Uh, so the two of them were raised in, in uh, the Jewish faith. So when my mom and dad married, uh, my dad made it very clear that, hey, I have a desire to raise my kids Catholic. Um, would love it if you come along, but but really, let's just kind of set the bar at raising the kids in the Catholic faith. Uh, so mom and dad got married. They got married very young, um, had my brother. A few years later, my sister, Laura, came along. 
And I think it was right around the time of my sister's baptism, my mom had decided to convert to Catholicism. And, and it really wasn't one of those things where she was like, oh, you know, Steve did it. My husband, my husband's Catholic. So I, you know, it's time that I just kind of come along for the ride. My mom really had had enough of an opportunity to observe the richness of the church and really had a desire to receive the sacraments and be close to God in that way and receive God's grace through the sacraments. Um, so she had a real profound interest in the Catholic church and had decided to convert. At the time, uh, sadly, there was really no uh, defined or formalized process to bring adults into the church. So no RCIA, no catechesis programs. I, I'm pretty sure her entering into the church consisted of a few meetings with my dad's parish priest. And then, I don't know, I guess it was like on some Sunday, she, you know, she had like her confession, her Holy Eucharist confirmation. Uh, they were married in the church, so there wasn't a convalidation required, but like just all in one day, my mom finds herself Catholic. Um, and I don't know how, how soon after from her conversion this happened, um, but for some reason, reasons I don't really understand, um, my dad had this crisis of faith and walked away, just completely walked away from the faith. Um, and for most of my upbringing, that's what I remember is it was my mom getting us to catechism classes. It was my mom, um, you know, instilling, instilling a sense of Catholic tradition and Catholic practice. Um, my dad was largely absent from that equation. And I, I didn't really know why. I, I know my dad struggled a lot with depression and I got a sense that he was dealing with a lot. Maybe who knows, was angry at God or something. But my dad came along for Christmas and Easter and that was it. Um, so, you know, that left my, my newly minted Catholic mom to raise us all, uh, in the faith. So I, I guess, uh, just so you get a sense of, of how things were in the O'Neill household growing up is, um, I kind of describe this as a, a grace before meals, Catholic family. You know, we said the, the bless us, O Lord, and we abstained from meat on Fridays during Lent and, you know, went to mass and went to catechism classes, but it really wasn't like it was, every fiber of our family was Catholic. It, it, it wasn't quite like that. And, and I'm not, I don't want to be, you know, a Debbie Downer or anything. Um, every day, I am aware of the fact that were it not for my mom and dad, you know, my, my dad making the decision to say, I want my kids raised Catholic. And then my mom and, and her, you know, geez, she probably didn't understand a whole lot herself, but she was motivated and, and driven to transmit that faith to her kids. So not a day goes by that I don't recognize that, yes, while we weren't an incredibly uber Catholic family, I am so thankful to God for my mom and dad and uh, that they had the courage and, and, and the, uh, the dedication to make sure that their kids received uh, the grace of the Catholic faith. So that was awesome. Um, and really the kind of upbringing part of the story kind of ends with my confirmation. And Eddie, I don't know if this is a familiar theme you've heard in, in interviewing some people, but um, at the time, so I was going through catechism classes, I guess that would be late 80s, early 90s. Um, the catechism wasn't, you know, super stellar. Yeah. I remember a lot of cartoons in my, uh, my catechesis books and, you know, cheesy stock photos and is kind of what some people call the Jesus loves you catechism, you know, uh, it left, it left me put it this way in my thirties. And, and when I started coming back to the faith, there was a lot that, uh, that I had to go and learn a lot. I had to supplement. And at the time of my confirmation, I don't really remember where I got this idea from. I think it was part catechism teachers and part maybe mom and dad, but this, the idea of confirmation being thought of as a graduation, you know, like you've arrived, man congratulations, you've been through, you know, eight or nine years of catechism class and boring CCD and, and, and you've had to march down to the altar and receive your sacraments and by golly, you've graduated, good job. Um, that's kind of the way confirmation was explained to me. Now, I don't have the world's best memory, so I'm sure there were some things of value thrown in there and sprinkled in, but that was the impression I came away with. And I, I suppose uh, on some level, a confirmation can be thought of as a, uh, a completion. You know, it's, it's the last in a series of the sacraments of initiation. Uh, but I, I want to read, only because I think it's so beautiful, this small little passage from the catechism, what they have to say about confirmation. Because I, mind blown, like at that time, I had no idea this is what, what I was signing up for. The catechism says, 
by the sacrament of confirmation, the baptized are more perfectly bound to the church and are enriched with a special strength of the Holy Spirit. And this is the part that gets me. Hence, they are, as true witnesses of Christ, more strictly obliged to spread and defend the faith by word and deed. No one ever told me that, right? Wow. What, I mean, what paragraph is that? Just so I can make note of that. Oh, I should have written down. I don't know. <laughs> we'll look it up but, later. Uh, we'll we'll it. put it in the comments. It's YouTube, <laughs> man. <laughs> um, yeah, more strictly obliged. I mean, that's you can't mince words there. It, it's not a completion. It's like a beginning, right? I mean, yes, it's, it's the last in the series of the sacraments of initiation, at least in the Roman rite. I know some Eastern rites, it's, yeah. it's Eucharist is last, but, but no, this is a calling and ascending forth to go and spread and defend the faith by word and deed. I did not come away with that impression. I definitely walked away. And I, by the way, I was probably, I don't know, somewhere between 13 and 15. I remember being younger, maybe just before high school, eighth grade-ish. Um, I walked away thinking like, whew, catechism is over. Like, I'm good. Um, and that's sad because, you know, from that point forward in my high school years, every Sunday was a chore. Like, I just lost an appreciation and a motivation uh, and a desire to know Jesus. I, it, it wasn't quite there. And, and the liturgy was, was boring to me. Uh, what the church had to offer in the way of, of, of its teachings and its truths. Um, just not something I really was interested in pursuing anymore. Um, and by this time, my brother and sister had moved on. They were out of the household. So in terms of the people in the household that were, that were still attending mass and, and trying to be Catholic, it was just my mom and I, you know, my yeah. dad really wasn't there. Um, so yeah, it just became difficult. And, and the more I got into high school, the more I was interested in, in, you know, girls and I was in a punk rock band and I was out gigging every night and playing concerts and um, I had better stuff to do and, and God was not on the list. So that was really kind of the start of a, a slow and steady decline in the practice of my faith. Um, then we get to senior year of high school. I'm 18, I've, I've graduated and I had signed up and enlisted to join the US Navy. Now, my dad before me was in the Navy, my brother before me was in the Navy, my sister had joined the Navy, so I was like kind of the last in the line of O'Neill's uh, to, to join the Navy. So, uh, you know, I might reference a couple of times um, an article that I had written in 2014 for Catholic Answers Magazine. Um, I wrote my conversion story for them. It must have been a really slow month at the uh, the apostolate, and they had nothing to print, so they were like, oh, well, uh, We'll, we'll, let's get we'll, this O'Neill we'll, kid on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's see what Tim's got for us. Um, but anyway, in the in this article that I wrote, I describe it as you know my recruiter pulls up in front of the house to pick me up. Mom and Dad are on the porch waving goodbye, and I get in the car and I kind of have that rearview moment, you know, where I see my house getting smaller and smaller in the rearview mirror, and Mom and Dad are waving. And what I say in the article is, now I didn't just leave home; I left my faith on the doorstep. It did not accompany me to Great Lakes, Chicago, where I would go to boot camp or Norfolk, Virginia, where I would be stationed for the first time. My faith didn't come with me. And that's really no surprise. My faith had atrophied, right? It wasn't a way of life. It wasn't a discipline that I was, I was maintaining and seeking and desiring. Um, so I left my faith at the doorstep. And it's funny because um, I get to boot camp and I'm sure you've heard stories about what boot camp is like, especially on the first day. It's kind of a shocker. And I, I wouldn't really describe myself as, as, as having been afraid or scared, but it, it is definitely an, an eye opener and a wake up call. You step off that bus from the airport and your civilian days are over. You're property of the U.S. government. You know, you're getting shouted at. You're getting called names. You step into what I call this like big assembly line where, you know, first your hair comes off and my hair kind of stayed off because it doesn't grow anymore. Uh, you know, you're, you're getting jabbed in the arm with every vaccine and antibiotic, you know, man can conceive of. You know, they're putting all your toiletries and, and T-shirts and underwear in a big bag. Like, it's just this big assembly line. It's, it's, uh, it's very unsettling. It's very jarring. And, and you're, you're very quickly met with this realization of like, man, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like, this is a completely different life. Um, and yeah, may, maybe to a degree, I was a little scared. I mean, I'm 18, so I don't have any previous life experience. And this was the first away from home moment. So I'm, I'm kind of setting this up because uh, the first Sunday uh, that we had in boot camp and in, in, in boot camp, I don't know if it's still like this, but back in the 90s, it was 
they gave you this, uh, on Sundays, it was called holiday routine. Things were slower. They were still regimented. They were still disciplined, but um, there wasn't a whole lot on the daily schedule. And they made um, religious services available to all the, all the recruits. So they had Catholic mass. They had Protestant services. I, th I think they may have even had uh, uh, Jewish services. So my recruit commander comes in the room and he's like, all right, listen up, dirtbags, or something like that. Uh, who wants to go to church? And for some reason, seriously, this confounds me to this day. Like my hand shot up and I'm like, I want to go sign me up, send me. Um, which was just strange because it wasn't, it was, like I said, I left it on the doorstep, but, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways that was God's grace. Like I was in this unfamiliar uncharted territory and I needed to, I needed to a very, at the very least be in the presence of God and, and receive some sense of grace. Even if I wasn't completely aware of the fact that I needed it, I, I needed it. Um, or, or maybe I was homesick and I wanted some familiarity, like the smells and bells of the Catholic liturgy. Um, but that too was kind of a pivotal moment because after that Catholic mass, this is for the duration of boot camp, and for about two to three years, I would not return to mass. Um, so that was really the last time uh, I had been to mass, and really the the beginning of of what I would call my uh, kind of my godless years. You know, like a, a def definite abandonment of my faith. It was definitely on the doorstep at home. Um, got out of boot camp started to regularly regularly receive a paycheck and and I went a little wild right this was the first time I had money coming in my bank account on the first and 15th uh, I grew up in a pretty strict household my dad was an authoritarian very very regimented lots of rules you know and and like woohoo you know I, I don't have rules anymore I don't have well I was in the military so I had military rules but like my personal life and what I wanted to do and believe and pursue, wasn't regulated by anybody. Like it was Tim's choice. It was Tim's decision, uh, what I wanted to, to get into. So I started to, um, and again, this is after boot camp, really get into um, an indulgent lifestyle. Um, it was very much the mentality of like, whatever made me happy, like whatever made me happy and gave me good tingly feelings, I wanted to just go pursue it. Like I had no sense of, um, at least not initially, no sense or recognition, uh, I guess the way I'll describe it is I would ignore, I would ignore and suppress uh, acknowledgement of whether something was right or right or wrong. That, that wasn't a priority. It was just that it felt good and I wanted to do it. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of unhealthy and promiscuous dating relationships that I pursued. I just had a general disregard for chastity. I'm not even completely sure I even understood at that time in my life, what chastity was really about. And, and, it's not just something before marriage, it's during marriage, it's in every stage of life. Chastity is a discipline, it's a virtue. Uh, I, I didn't understand it that way. Didn't matter because I didn't have time or care to, uh, to pursue it. And uh, when I describe this period of my life, I, I, was, I always use the analogy of a buffet. So you know when you get to like an all-you-can-eat buffet and you're starving and you walk inside and everything smells awesome, the food's presented really well, and every buffet is the same, right? It's the stuff you normally don't indulge in. It's like fried chicken and prime rib and potatoes and gravy and all you can eat ice cream. And like, oh, it's just the nines, right? This was a stage in my life where I was like plate after plate after plate, lining up at the buffet, gorging myself with stuff that wasn't healthy or good for me, uh, but it didn't matter. Like I was having the time of my life. So I thought, um, are you familiar with Christopher West, Eddie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He years ago, Rashid and I got trained in a program that he, I, I believe he authored called God's plan for a joy filled marriage. By the way, my wife's name is Rasheen. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, she's great. In case she's going to watch this, she's the best. Um, God's plan for a joy filled marriage. In this uh, presentation, Christopher quotes Bruce Springsteen, right? He's he starts off saying, look, everybody's looking for love. It's like sealed on our heart. It's the way we're made. It's the way God orients us is to be seeking love. That's what we want. But he's like, as Bruce Springsteen foretold in his legendary song, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. And we're looking for love in too many faces. And at the point where I was at this buffet, is cramming food in my face. I, I do believe that I was genuinely looking for love. I wanted companionship. I wanted authentic love, but I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to find it. Uh, certainly didn't have any litmus test 
to, to test it against like a faith, right? Or faith and morals. I had kind of abandoned that. So I did the best I could and just looked for love in all the wrong places and in all the wrong faces. Um, so that's, that's kind of where things, where things got to in, in those days in my life until I get to like the second stage of eating at a buffet and everybody who's eaten at a buffet understands this phase. You get back down to the table, you've had like three or four plates and maybe some dessert in between and you're toast. Like indigestion is set in. You could probably go to sleep and hibernate like a bear for 10 hours. You just feel awful, awful. You don't like, you need a wheelbarrow to get you out of there. Um, and that's kind of where I was. Like, again, I, I wasn't able to name the specific things in my life that I was doing wrong. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I had a general idea, uh, but just, I knew that I generally felt bad. Something was off. I wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied, right? You get to that buffet and there's so many promises. There's so many alluring characteristics. It's really just all a lie and it's all a facade. And then in the end, you've got indigestion and you don't know why. And that's really where I was at, right? Um, I was at that stage in, in the buffet. Um, around that time, I met a friend uh, who was on the same ship as me. We were both serving on, a, on an aircraft carrier. And at this time, I think we were in Norfolk, Virginia. And we were getting ready to do a home port change to San Diego. So that's how I got to San Diego on, on a big 90,000 ton aircraft carrier. Um, I'll just call this friend of mine, Jim. Uh, Jim and I started to really just engage in some really deep discussion. And it was helpful for me. And, and he was, um, I can't remember, I think he might've been like, um, he was some denomination of Christianity. I can't recall which one. And he, he wasn't really practicing either, but you could tell that he was at a point in his life like I was where the buffet just wasn't cutting it. And he had this idea of like, you know, what's next? What's next for us? Like, our Navy careers are going to wind down at some point. I, I had only intended to do four years and I might've been around year two or, or something. Um, what's next? Like, am I going to go home and go to college? I would love to settle down in like a meaningful relationship. And we were both kind of exchanging this dialogue and kind of, you know, ruminating on these things, which was helpful for me because it got me out of the, the superficial materialistic, you know, bad for me life I was living and caused me to actually begin to reflect on like, okay, Tim, life can't be one gigantic party. What's next? Um, and, and by now we're, we've relocated, we're in San Diego. This was in, um, what was this, 2001, um, shortly after 9-11 actually. Uh, we get to San Diego and Jim meets somebody. He, he had a night job at Banana Republic. So his, his day job was Navy and his night job was working in the mall. And he met uh, a gal there that he began to date. And I don't know that it was particularly serious, but it was serious enough that like every time Jim and I were hanging out, he'd say, uh, you know, he'd take a phone call and I'm like, okay, here it comes. He'd hang up the phone and he'd go, oh, Tim, I gotta go. You know, my girlfriend just called and uh, she wants to hang out. So that happened, that happened like, I don't know, maybe a dozen times until one day uh, Jim and I are hanging out, gets a phone call. Tim, I got to go. And I was like, nah, uh, not so fast. Before you hang up that phone, I want you to ask your girlfriend if she has a friend. And then why don't the four of us go out somewhere, right? That way I don't have to get abandoned every time uh, when your girlfriend calls and goes, oh, that's a great idea. So his girlfriend um, was attending the same college uh, that Roisin was. And they were both in the theater department. They were preparing for uh, some, I think it was a play or some kind of production that the college was putting on. So uh, Jim's girlfriend calls, or, uh, Jim, yeah, Jim's girlfriend calls Rasheen and says, what are you doing tonight? Uh, we're going to go to a movie. One of Jim's friends is going to be there. Uh, I keep thinking I'm going to say the guy's real name and it's throwing me off. Uh, I should have just said it. I, I haven't talked to this guy in like 15 years, 19 years. Uh, anyway, um, he, he, uh, the, the girlfriend convinces Rasheen to come along and the arrangement was, hey, after we watch this movie, and hang out with uh, with these guys. We'll uh, we'll go home and practice our lines and prepare for this this play. So if Rasheen were here, she would tell you that she was like she had been looking for something to do that night. All of her plans were falling through. Nobody was returning her calls, and then she had just kind of resigned to like having a night in. So when her friend called and said, "Hey, come come join us at the movie," she was excited, like, "Oh, this will be great." And then the minute she hangs up the phone, she goes, "Wait a minute." 
this sounds like I just signed up for a double date and I do not want to go on a double date. But by then, you know, she had already made the commitment and it was, it was too late, like signed, sealed, delivered. Uh, Tim's lucky day. So, uh, so here I am on the, uh, I, was, I was in the bathroom, one of the thousands of bathrooms on, on the USS Nimitz. And Tony and I, it was like, it was, it was cheesy. It was like a scene out of Top Gun. We had music playing. We're getting our, combing our hair back when I had hair, putting on cologne, you know, ironing our clothes. We're just, we're getting ready for like the date of a lifetime here which I just think is hilarious because Rasheen was like, oh gosh, I really don't want to go meet this guy. And I'm over here like hearing wedding bells, you know? So, um, so we get to the movie theater and the movies, you know, it was going to take some time to start. I think it was, you know, about an hour, we had about an hour or so. So we sat in front of a coffee shop outside um, and the four of us, the plan was we'll just have a conversation before the movie. And uh, I don't remember much, but I remember her getting out of the car with her friend and walk approaching the table. And I'm like, oh my, I, I remember what she was wearing even, it was crazy. This was like 21 years ago, 20 years, I don't know, something, long time ago. Um, and I thought, man, she's beautiful and I'm out of my league and I'm gonna screw this up. And I got super nervous. But fortunately around that time in my life, uh, like I had mentioned, my friend Jim and I were starting to have some like good substantive conversation and we, we were like in, interested in like the whole self-help genre of books, you know? Yeah. So one book we had just read is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I'm going to butcher the book, but I remember the one part of the book, the chapter that I was on was about, hey, if you really want to make a connection with people when you're having conversation or you're getting to know somebody, don't talk about you. Uh, which is ironic because I'm going to spend the next 45 minutes talking about me. So I'm sorry, Eddie. I'm sorry to all your listeners. Uh, Dale Carnegie is rolling over in his grave. Uh, don't talk about you. You know, make it about them. Ask them about their life and their interests and, and what they're into. And A, it's, it's very easy, stress-free conversation for you because you're focused on the other person. And B, that other person walks away feeling like, wow, you know, Tim was really interested in getting to know me. What a great conversationalist because they spent the whole time talking about themselves. Um, so I thought, all right, Tim, that's what you're going to do. As soon as she sits down at the table, it is, it's all about Roisin. So I stood up and I extended my right hand. I shook her hand and I said, nice to meet you. My name's Tim. Now, uh, Eddie, you've met Roisin. She, she's kind of an introverted kind of personality. She can tend to be quiet and shy. She's better around small groups of people that she knows well, as opposed to larger groups of people that she doesn't know well. She's just more introverted. Um, but oddly, like on this evening, she was right along for the ride. You know, she shook her hand out, gave me a firm handshake and we started the talk and I asked her a lot about, you know, the theater department that she was in and the play she was preparing for. We had a lot of really good conversation and there was just this sense of familiarity. It wasn't, I wasn't staring into the eyes of a stranger. Like I was, you know, 10 minutes earlier nervous and now I just strangely felt at peace, wow. felt really settled and calm and I, like I was in the presence of somebody who was really special and we, I, th I felt like we, we hit it off so much so that when we walked into the movie theater, and this is strange, we like linked arms and started to skip together into the movie theater, like just acted silly and playful. And I think Rasheen too, when she retells the story, she's like, I don't know what I was thinking, like why I, I let you think that I was that into you, but you know, she just got playful and silly and comfortable. So we get into the movie, the movie was Panic Room with Jodie Foster and Jodie Foster. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I guess, vaguely. Yeah, I guess we thought it was, a, it's like a, like a thriller kind of mystery movie. I guess safe choice, you know, if you're on a yeah. blind date, like you don't want some rom-com or something. <laughs> right. So, uh, so before the movie, before the movie starts, um, I think Rasheen had mentioned, she knew I was in the Navy and I think she had, she was trying to make small talk and had said something like, um, I have, a, I have a friend of mine, um, I, I, she said, there's a friend of mine that was in the Navy before or something like that. Uh, and she said, yeah, he went to my rival school, R-I-V-A-L, right? I think that's rival, rival school. And what I heard was Bible school. So again, like that first day of boot camp when I didn't understand why I did this, I just said, oh, I wanna go sign me up for mass. I went, Oh, Bible school. And instantly, like, I'm surprised a lightning bolt didn't come down and strike my movie theater. <laughs> I, 
I decided I decided to like, you know, tap into the faith of my youth to get this girl to be interested in me. So I'm like, oh, Bible school? I'm Catholic. And she goes, hmm, I'm Catholic too. And when she tells the story in her head, she thought to herself, well, we'll just see about yeah, that. We'll, we'll see how Catholic you know. this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you'll put your money where your mouth is. We'll see how Catholic this guy really is. Um so the movie gets gets going. And again, in my head, like the last conversation we had was like, oh, she's Catholic. I'm Catholic. Um, I'm going to use this. And uh, I'm so sorry, God. So sorry. But uh, anyway, the movie starts and um, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City comes into the frame. And I have no idea why I did this. It's super embarrassing. But I, I leaned over and I told her, hey, I was confirmed there which I don't know why I thought that was special or impressive. Like it's a cathedral. I, I you know, it's, it's old. Uh, and, and it is a very beautiful cathedral. If you've ever been there, I don't know, but no, I haven't. Yeah. But for some reason I slipped into this, like, I'm going to make you think that I'm the available to date version of the Pope. And, and uh, now she would tell you in her head, she was like, Oh, well, at least he was confirmed. Cause in her mind, she thought like, well, if he went ahead with his confirmation you know, he's been sealed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And like the catechism says, he's more strictly obliged yeah, to spread obliged. the faith. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Little did she know. Um, so the movie ended. It was a great evening. We get out to the parking lot. I'm like, look, it was, a, I had a great night. I really enjoyed getting to know you. Can I have your phone number? I'd love to do this again. Get to know you some more. Um, and she just looked at me in the face and said, no, I don't think that'd be a good idea. And my heart sank and my like started to race. I'm like, gosh, what did I do wrong? And then she's like, no, I'm just kidding. Give me your phone. And she put her number in my phone. And I guess she wanted to see me turn even paler than I already am. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so we agreed, we, we had, um, we had our next date pretty soon after. Um, and what I proposed to her was I said, look, let's go to this Italian restaurant in downtown San Diego. And then we'll just kind of walk the streets and, do some shopping, just have, have like a nice stroll in the downtown streets and get to know each other a little bit. San Diego is a beautiful city. It's a great setting for that kind of thing. Um, so Rasheen, God bless her, like she was not going to let the I'm Catholic proclamation escape our dialogue that night. So we have some small talk over dinner. And then as we start to walk the streets of San Diego and dip in and out of these stores, she's like, so you're Catholic. I'm like, oh boy. She remembered me saying that I'm in such big trouble. Uh, and then I had, I had lied about the whole, I'm confirmed in St. Patrick's Cathedral thing. And I left her with this impression that I was like an altar boy still. And, you know, who knows? Um, so she did, she was very respectful. And, and I, I did tell her in so many words, like, I'm not really practicing my faith right now, but I, I was, I was practicing and, you know, I don't know. I stumbled, I stumbled through some words and she's like, well, tell me how you feel about. And then she started this, what I call the how Catholic are you quiz. And some of these, man, some of these questions, man, were heavy hitters. I mean, she started off easy, like, oh, well, tell me what your prayer life is like. Or if you had a prayer life, what are some things that, what are some situations in life that you would, you would turn to God for? And how would you turn to God for that? And like, just real meaningful to the heart kind of questions, sizing me up, like, yeah, I get it. You may not be the world's best Catholic now, but let's let's see if at least maybe you're open. What I didn't know at the time is that unlike me, Rasheen really was spreading and defending the faith. You know, she really was living out the the um, you know the promises and commitments that she had made uh, upon receiving her sacrament of confirmation. Um, and then she got into some some heavy hitting stuff like, what are your views on abortion, and what are what are your views on uh, sexual morality. And I think what she was really trying to tease out is like, you know, if this guy's right for me and he's open to returning to the church, do we at least agree on these really faith and morals and, and these things that are super important to me? Um, we had a decent conversation. And I, I, if I'm to be honest, and I've told her this, I think I was being a little guarded and, and I was answering honestly, but trying not to go too deep. So uh, we're driving home and she asks me to take her to her mom's house. She had been living with her grandmother because the grandmother was closer to the uh, university Rasheen was attending. Um, so she's like, hey, let's stop off at my mom's house, which was right in between downtown and where her grandma lived. I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, sure, that's fine. We'll go to your mom's house. And it's probably, um, I don't know, 10, 30, 11. I mean, it's not, 
super late, but it's, I mean, her mom's probably asleep by now. Like the people that were still living at the, the Heidegger house at that time were probably still asleep. We're probably asleep. So we get there, I pull up, I'm driving this, you know, white Volkswagen Jetta. It was pitiful. I wish I had had a muscle car or something, but I was driving a Jetta and I park in front of the house. She goes, I'm going to run inside and go get something. I'll be right back. I think that ah, this is strange. Like, what is she, what is she doing? Like, maybe she wants to brush her teeth and, and we're going to have like a little goodnight kiss. Like I was just thinking immaturely and stupidly, like I had been thinking for two years. And she comes out, she emerges from the front door with this like little pamphlet under her arm or a book or an object or something. I'm like, what is that? And she gets into the car and plops back down into the passenger seat. She reaches up and turns on the, the cabin light to illuminate the, the car. And she's holding this book titled Pure Love, written by Jason Everett. Now, I had no idea who Jason Everett was, but I had an idea of what pure love meant. And I'm like, okay, all right, let's, let's dive into it. Uh, as it turns out, Jason Everett um, is a Catholic apologist, um, I believe, and he's from San Diego. So his, his spiel, and I believe it continues to be his specialty, is to talk to young adults and teenagers about the importance of chastity and purity and how chastity and purity should be practiced in the context of every relationship and how to date rightly and what that means. Um, and man, I came to find out that Jason had touched so many lives in San Diego and now nationally, internationally, I'm sure, but he had, he had given a, a talk at Rasheen's high school. So that's how she knew about Jason Everett. Uh, and her, I mean, she had always been convicted about purity and chastity. That's the way she was raised. It's what she believed. But Jason really lit this fire in her to kind of be this evangelist for purity and chastity. So she can, rightly so, she comes out with this book and she's like, um, will you read this? And I'm thinking that she's going to hand it to me and we'll end the evening and I'll go back to the ship and I'll, I'll sift through it over the course of the next few nights. And I'm like, yeah, I'll read it. She's like, will you read it with me right now? I was like, okay. So, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, it's maybe 20 pages. It's a little, little pamphlet. She reads me this book cover to cover about chastity. And, uh, you know, this was a long time ago. So I can't tell you that there were specific words or thoughts that, that popped out. But I do remember really being consumed with a, what the heck is happening right now? And it wasn't a, what the heck is happening? This is so weird. It was a, this is new. This is different. This is, this is so captivating. And, and uh, in, a, in a pure way, I can attest and being very truthful and saying this, in a pure way, very attractive, right? Um, like I had said, like I was at the stage in the buffet where I'm sitting back at the table and everything I'm eating from at this buffet line is making me sick. And I know it's making me sick and I don't like it. And I'm looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for love in all the wrong faces. And here I have in the front seat of my Volkswagen Jetta, this really beautiful girl who's so convicted and so strong in her faith, convincing me on the merits of purity and chastity and why it's so important. And, and I didn't disagree with any of it. It's not like she read any of it to me and I went, oh gosh, I'm gonna go home and like burn this girl's number and never call her back. I never once had that thought. I just thought this is so new and different and attractive. And I want more. I want more of this. So I listened to the whole thing. She got finished with the book. And then she looked at me and was like, so what do you think? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do I think? And that, that's such a like male, female difference. Like, you know, what are you thinking? And Because I'm sure she was thinking a thousand things. And I'm like, I'm still thinking that this is wild. This is wild that this is happening. So she's like, what do you think? Can you, uh, can you get on board with this? Can you do this? And I was like, um, do you know what? I want to think about this. And that was my answer. I said, I want to think about this because I did not want my answer to be, um, you know, from a place of, of just trying to placate her and, and make her happy so that I could pursue a relationship with her and not really mean it. If I answered, yes, I'm interested in, yes, I want to do this. Yes, I'm on board. I wanted to mean it. Um, and she said, okay, I'm fine with that. And she later shared that she was happy that my answer was, let me think about it. Cause that actually meant that she wasn't gonna get some you know, baloney answer out of me. She was gonna get something that was meaningful and uh, reflective of somebody who was really interested. And then she, then she tells me, this is before we, you know, I had to drop her off at her grandma's house. But before we, we pull away from her mom's house, she's like, listen, 
you seem like a great guy. You know, we share a similar sense of humor. We really seem to click and get along really well. And I would love get I would love to get to know you more and and date you. But I want you to know a few things. I was like, okay. She's like, first thing is, I believe dating is to find a spouse. So I'm not interested in this, you know, I'm just going to date everybody under the sun because it's fun kind of, kind of behavior. If I'm dating you, it's because I'm sizing up whether or not you're right for marriage. I was like, okay. And she's like, and the second thing is, uh, I'm not the physical type. And right away, I knew what that meant, right? She just read 20 pages of a book called Pure Love to me. So she's like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in getting to know you and seeing if you're a guy I should marry. And again, I was like, wow, this is completely new. Never heard this. So I drop her off at her grandma's house. And, you know, my, my, uh, my childish uh, aspirations for a good night kiss, I decided not to do that. I thought that was the prudent thing to do. Not, not to pursue the goodnight kiss. <clears throat> and I went back to the ship that night and for the following several days. And I was like, man, this is, uh, this is interesting. So much change at once. It's like you get to these forks in the road in your life. And sometimes they're small, right? It's like, should I buy the Jetta or the Mustang? And I obviously chose wrong. And, <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes the fork in the road is monumental. In, in importance. Uh, so this fork in the road for me was not just about thinking about dating somebody. It was completely transforming my life. It was, Tim, you left something on the doorstep when you left home. You've been eating from this disgusting buffet for two years. You're not happy. And now you have this like angel of a person presenting you with a completely different path. Pick up your faith, learn it, love it, live it, be chaste, and consider marrying me if that's what God intends us to do. Um, so I ruminated on it for a little while. And, you know, she and I, we, we obviously stayed in touch and continued to, to see each other. And, um, and I told her at some point, I don't really remember when, I said, you know what, I, uh, um, I think the analogy I used at one point is, um, Eddie, has there ever been, like, all right, let's say, for example, let's just pretend you're looking for a new power tool, right? And you're not a power tool guy. You don't understand rotations or impact driver versus you know normal, normal driver. It's just not your thing. But you know a friend of yours who is super into home improvement, knows what he's doing, knows everything about power tools, reads the latest trends, totally understands it. And you ask him, hey, what kind of power tool should I buy? And he says, go get the DeWalt Model 3000. And without hesitation, you just go get the DeWalt model with 3000 because there's so much credibility. Yep. You, you believe him. There's a, there's a genuineness there that you believe. When I went back to tell Rasheen, I want to do this, I'm pretty sure I said something along the lines of, I'm not sure 100% why. And in some ways, it's still a bit of a mystery to me. But I know I want to do it. I, I know that it's the right thing to do. I know that it's the DeWalt model 3000. And, and you are a super, you, she seemed like such a credible person. She was just on fire and glowing with all this virtue and goodness and desire uh, that I thought, how could she be wrong? She's so darn convincing. So I said, yes, I want to do this. And I, I will commit to you that I will journey with you in these ways. So I, I will commit to not being the physical type. And I will commit to learning about my faith. Uh, and she's like, great. That's all I can ask for. So um I'm, I'm describing a lot and I'm not giving you kind of an idea of what kind of time has elapsed. This is all happening inside of about a month or so, okay. so several weeks, several weeks of time. She made this initial challenge. I went back and ruminated and I thought about it. And then I came back and said, sign me up. Um, and in that time, my ship was deploying a lot. We were going out to sea for, you know, weeks and sometimes months at a time. And um, actually more at that time, it was more like weeks. And uh, I started to meet with my a Catholic chaplain aboard the ship there. And what a grace that was, what a blessing that was to have a Catholic priest on the ship. Um, so I, I went to confession. He heard my confession, which was great. Um, I remember him. He, he was a chaplain that had worked with the Marines. So he was really loud and boisterous. Nice. And after one of the, after one of the confessions, you know, he was just, it was just in his office. He'd throw back the curtain and he'd yell, O'Neill, you're in a state of grace. Don't screw up. <laughs> <And he'd> like, <laughs> Kick me out of the confessional. Um, 
but uh, he had given me uh, a catechism and he's like, listen, sounds like you're serious about this. Sounds like you want to get back into it. I want you, you're, you're at sea. It's not like you're going anywhere. I want you to read through this and highlight, annotate, ask me questions. You know, I'm, I'm yours. I'm here. I want you to, to really dive into this. So I, I did. I started reading through it. I started highlighting passages and I still have the catechism. And it's so funny. Sometimes I crack it open and I go back to the stuff that I'd highlighted. And I think to myself, wow, how incredibly rudimentary was that stuff? But the fact that I was drawn to highlight it and underline it and circle it really demonstrates to me and tells me that I was at a place of really just pure ignorance. Uh, there was so much I didn't understand about my faith um, that it was almost like I was unpacking it in substance for the real, for the first time, you know, really just diving into it and, and, and like peeling back the layers of an onion. Um, so at the end of the day, I reflected back on like, why did I leave my faith on the doorstep? You know, you hear so many conversion stories that are so powerful about you know, people who struggle with really complex things like transubstantiation and does the church have the authority to forgive sins? And for, for many of our Protestant brothers and sisters, it's, 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 it's Mary or the papacy and the authority of the Pope. And those are hard things to, to, to work through and educate yourself on. I didn't object to any of that. Like it was strange. I was just, I was ready and willing to accept it. And once I learned about it and I could see the beauty and truth in it, then I had this conviction. And then it was like a fire was kind of lit uh, inside of me. So at the end of the day, I guess, you know, the reason I left a faith on the doorstep and I walked away and I lived all those, you know, two years of, of just badness um, was I just didn't understand. There was so much I did. It was poor faith formation. It was a lack of motivation to dive in and understand it on my own. And oftentimes in our lives and in these conversion and reversion stories, it takes, it takes somebody that God puts in your life to pull you out of that and say, hey, knucklehead, you know, I'm here, I'm waiting for you. Come, come learn about me. Come, come meet me. Come have a relationship with me. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, kind of, that's the story of kind of getting back to my faith and it all happened through uh, Roshin. And then things started to get super serious. Like we weren't being physical with one another. Uh, we were all of our time together and it was every waking minute. Like I started my friend, Jim, that I told you about earlier, yeah. like Jim was, Jim was long gone, bro. Like, I didn't know what Jim was up to. Every time he'd see me on the ship, he's like, where have you been? Are you still with that girl from the movies? I'm like, yeah, it's like getting real serious. And everybody around me, and this is kind of like um, uh, looking, looking back at myself in the mirror, <clears throat> you know, the old Tim in the mirror, I started to, my friends would ask me questions and they say things like, how far have you gotten with her? Like that, that was the state of life I was in just a month earlier, right? As I would have been asking those same stupid questions. And I remember thinking like, what a rude question to ask. And it's not even about that. And I, I had no problem telling them that's not, that's not us. That's not what we're doing. And uh, I was like, you know, she's different. There's something very different about her and I'm getting back into my faith. And, <clears throat> you know, oftentimes in the military, it's for as many reasons as it's good, there are things, it's a reflection of our culture. It's, re it's a, you have people joining the military from all over the place. Yeah. So in many ways, everything that's good about society, fortunately, you get to avail yourself to, and there's a camaraderie there and there's a greatness there. But then everything that's like bad and ugly about society is there uh, in concentration. You know, you're on a small ship and you can see it. <clears throat> so, you know, I would get a lot of questions about like, what are you even doing with this girl? Like, are you just pursuing <clears throat> interest in your faith because you like her and you want her to like you back? And so I kind of quickly put all that stuff aside and I stopped hanging out with a lot of people and really just focused on Rasheen and, and getting back to my faith. And because of that, <clears throat> because of the intensity with which we were discussing things of substance, and we were not distracting ourselves with, you know, a physical kind of lustful preoccupation. <clears throat> we got to know each other in like record time. And I think that's one of the things that is so sad today about this dating culture and our culture in general is that there's so much focus on flesh and it's easy to do that. I get it. I've been there, but there's, it's just, it's immediate gratification. It's the the beautiful, well-laid-out buffet that smells so good. It's, it's, it's the attractive surface. But when you do that, when you focus solely on that, you ignore everything under the surface. You ignore like that true personhood 
like the person that God made is not a lump of flesh, is not, is, is not just flesh and bone. The person that God made is, is spiritual. And, and there's like a complete metaphysical reality there that deserves its attention and unpacking and, and getting to know. And I think <clears throat> when you can avoid that physical aspect of a relationship and dive headfirst into that personhood, it really shouldn't take long before you figure out, is this somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with? And I think that's why you run into these 30, 40 something year olds that are on year 10 of a dating relationship and it's going nowhere. Well, it's no surprise, right? You're just playing, you're playing husband and wife. You've not probably not taken the time to really get to know what makes that person tick. And yeah, it's no surprise, right? But so I, so to cut to the chase, to make a long story longer, um, it had been a month, month and a half or something like that. And I was like, man, I, I love this. I love her. And I need to let her know that. So we're in the parking lot of Avon's and it's super romantic. Yes. <clears throat> and I lean over. I don't know. I just got like a sudden case of Tourette's and I'm like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, what? I was like, I, I love you. And she's like, oh, okay. And that was <laughs> She kind of just nodded her head. Rasheen is a very, uh, she takes time to think about things. She's not quick to say things. She just wants to be sure of what she's going to say. Because when she says it, she means it, period. Um, and I was like, why, why can't you say it back? And she's like, well, I need to think and pray about this. You know, I don't want to just say it back. I want to mean it. Um, so she comes, you know, it took a couple of days and she came back and she's like, I did think about it. I did pray about it. And I thought about why we're different and what we've been discussing and reflecting on in these last, I don't know, six weeks or so of knowing each other. And I, I should mention too, I've left this out. It's kind of an important part of our, our getting to know each other story is that around the time of our getting to know each other, my mom and dad were going through a divorce and her dad had died. Like I, I got, I was, I was very fortunate to get to meet her dad. Um, I met him in the hospital. Great man. I've heard uh, my mother-in-law and all of Rasheen's siblings tell me such wonderful stories about Tom. The man was like a living saint and such a wonderful human being. And no doubt uh, the reason I'm sure Rasheen and her siblings today are, there were six kids in her family, all of them practicing Catholics, all of them, what I would, you know, Tim Gaffigan calls them Shiite Catholics, like the the, the uber for real, we mean it when we say we're Catholic kind of Catholics. Um, but anyway, I was going through something traumatic. She had just lost her father. So in addition to like unpacking and peeling back the layers of the onion on our personhood and getting to know each other in this very intimate personal way, we were also kind of helping each other grieve through these losses. Um, so it was just a wild time um, getting to know her and her getting to know me. Uh, so yes, she eventually came back and said, you know, I thought about it and I've, I've observed you and I've, I've been with you during this time of my suffering and this time of your suffering. And I've seen, you've made yourself vulnerable to me and me to you. And I, I, I think I can honestly say that I love you too. And the minute that happened, you know, what was Rasheen's initial edict to me? Um, I'm not the physical type. I'm, I'm Catholic and I don't, you know, I need you to be along with me on that journey. And I'm dating to see if I should marry you. So the minute we had both said we loved each other. It's like, okay, so let's go look at some rings, you know? Um, so let's see, I met her in April and I think the proposal happened in June. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And she'll and listen to this and say, she'll say something like, no, the proposal was in May. It was, you get the idea. Yeah. Like months, like we're talking a month or two had gone by and uh, I was putting a ring on her finger. And I was, I was 20, I think she was 18. So we were both very, very young. Um, and naturally everybody around us is saying like, you're insane. You know, not everybody, her family was supportive of it and they understood why. But many of my friends, uh, several of my family members were like, this is not a good idea. You rushed to this decision. And I think Rasheen, to a degree, too, was was uh, was questioning, like, oh gosh, am I doing the right thing? And you know, I think that's completely a rational thing to ask yourself when you're yeah. 18 and you just said yes to marrying some guy that you met six weeks ago. Completely rational thing to do. So Rasheen's name in Gaelic, so she's Irish, her whole family's like uber Irish. Um, Rasheen's name in Gaelic means little rose, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but you'll get the idea. Um, when her mom and dad 
were um, trying to conceive uh, their third child, which was Rasheen, they were praying for a girl. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the way the story goes. And they had asked um, for the intercession of St. Therese of Lisieux, who I believe our, our, our Catholic tradition holds that she, when she answers prayers, she'll often do so or, or let the person know the prayer has been answered by some kind of appearance of a rose or flower. She's the little flower, right? Yep. Uh, if I've got the wrong Therese, let me know. I'm pretty sure no, it's Therese. No, you are Lisieux. correct. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, the parents' prayer was granted. They had a girl and they named her Roisin, little flower after St. Therese. So all of Roisin's life, St. Therese was her like patron, patroness, right? She's a little patron saint. So she goes home on this evening where she's really doubting and questioning, like, have I done the right thing? Like, do I have buyer's remorse or is this really what God wills for me? And she prayed and she said, St. Therese, I need you to send me if, if Tim is the guy that I'm to marry, this was like almost verbatim direct quote. If Tim's the guy I'm to marry, I need you to give me a single red rose placed into my hand. She's a very prescriptive. I mean, St. Therese was up there like, come on, really? Like, how about, how about you can just see a rose on the side of the road or something? But yeah. No, she asked for a single red rose placed into her hand. That was her evening prayer. Next day, I'm at work, and uh, I'm, I was working at a, a Naval Air Station North Island, which was in Coronado, just outside of San Diego. And there was a little Navy exchange, kind of like a, like a target, like a Navy target, basically. Um, I went there after work, and I thought, you know, I'm going to get Rasheen some flowers. Like, I think that'd be the cool Casanova thing to do. I'm going to get her some flowers. So I go to the front of the store, and they're selling roses. I thought, perfect. Red roses are fine. That'll do. And they sold them in denominations of like a dozen, a half a dozen and single. Now, usually I'm like the spender in our relationship. Money's never an object. I'm a go big or go home kind of guy. I almost always would have gotten the dozen. And I say this, I'm being totally truthful with you. I just I was like, you know, I don't know. Someone's telling me I need to get the single red rose. Like maybe there's some significance there. So I picked the single red rose and I go to her grandmother's house where she's still living, of course, and ring the doorbell. And she answers, and I put the red rose into her hand, and I say, hi, I'm home. And she like stood back and she turned white as a ghost, and she covered her mouth. And she's like, oh my gosh. And she sat down and had to collect herself. And I'm thinking like, is she allergic to roses? Like, did I pick the wrong color? Should I have gone with yellow? Because I'm sure yellow means something. I'm, I'm questioning every, every decision about the flower. And she's just like hyperventilating. And then she, you know, she collects herself and she tells me, I did not tell anybody about this prayer. Nobody, nobody whatsoever. But like 16 hours ago, I asked St. Therese that if you were the person I should marry, I wanted a single red rose placed in my hand. And here you are doing that. So she, from that moment, she was completely convicted. This is what God wills for me. Tim and I are, are to be married. Um, so yeah, um, we met on April 4th. And we're married April 5th, the following year. So I, I, we had a, from meeting each other to marriage, it was a year and a day. Incredible. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, um, that's the story. And I, the article that I wrote for Catholic Answers, um, I called it my conversion at Cana. Because um, as you're well aware, the conversion at Cana or the, uh, the wedding at Cana in the scripture is about Jesus, you know, performing his first miracle at a wedding. And when I think about what brought me back to my faith, and honestly, um, you know, the cool thing about conversion is it's not like a one-time thing. You're going to, at least in my case, I'm experiencing many conversions and many reversions still. And I probably will be like, as long as you're growing in your faith and you're learning new things, you, you know, God is granting you the grace to see things anew and to convert and turn away from old ways and, 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 you know, return to what he's calling you to. So there's all sorts of conversions, but at that moment, what initially got me back to the faith and what continues to sustain me in my faith is the grace I received through the sacrament of marriage, hands down, bar none. You know, they talk, we did marriage preparation for many years. And what we'd always tell the couples is your primary responsibility in marriage is to help get that other person to heaven, period. So Tim, if you're not being the husband you need to be, you're not just putting your own eternal soul at 
jeopardy, right? You could be preventing your wife from achieving heaven. So we're really responsible for each other in that, in that way. And I think that is so beautiful and what has really sustained me in wanting to continue to, um, to grow and develop in my faith. So I want to read, if, if you don't mind, I know reading can be tedious, but this, because the, the 2014 Tim said it way better than I could say it right now. So I don't want to mess it up. No, good for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I will mess it up. Um, so this is the part in the article where I'm kind of explaining why do I call it my conversion at Cana? Uh, so bear with me. I say the catechism explains the significance of Jesus's public ministry beginning at a wedding feast. The catechism says the church attaches great importance to Jesus's presence at the wedding at Cana. She sees in it the confirmation of the goodness and the proclamation that thenceforth marriage will be an efficacious sign of Christ's presence. So I go on to say, not only did Rasheen guide me to chastity, she encouraged me to return to the call of my baptism, to be a son of God and a member of the body of Christ. My return to the sacraments was and still is life-changing. Second to receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist, the sacrament of marriage has been a tremendous source of spiritual nourishment for me. Marriage is not a one-time event in which husband and wife graduate to a higher level of relationship. It is intended to be an ongoing sign of Christ's love for his church. And in bringing me back to the Catholic faith, calling me to chase love and modeling for me the love of God, Rasheen led me to what I call my conversion at Cana. And for that, I am eternally grateful. So that's my story. And I'm sticking to it, dude, um, dude, yeah. you're a phenomenal storyteller, man. I got to tell you, that was, that was a fun, fun ride. Dude. Jeez. Yeah. You're getting me choked up, man. You guys are awesome. Um, just God bless you and Roshin and, and your marriage and your witness and the kids. Uh, yeah. There's not much more to say other than that's, that's, that's a phenomenal story. And I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing it. So. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Um, it's been a great opportunity. And I'm so this is uh, what a ministry you have, Eddie, to uh, take these stories to the masses and just give people an opportunity to see how God works in our lives. It's it's amazing. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you for watching. Um, if you know anyone that's dating or thinking about dating, I, I think that this video is obviously not just for married couples, but those that are considering marriage or teenagers, they need to hear messages like this. So um, thank you. And until next time, take care and God bless.